Hey, it's Jay Keith. Before we get to this exciting new episode, wanted to let you know about a little schedule change for us for our live shows coming up soon. First of all, we will not have a show as we had previously announced on February 4th, but we do have a show on Saturday, February 10th with Max Fun host Lori Kilmartin and Ify Wadaway. That'll be at the Center for Inquiry West in Los Angeles. Then on Sunday, February 25th, another show at the Center for Inquiry, this one with Cameron Esposito and another exciting guest to be announced. And on Saturday, March 23rd at 7 p.m. at the Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena, California, with guest Andy Richter and another guest to be announced soon. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets, and thank you for listening. Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong, and now, recording from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Helen. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Jakey. Uh, now, Helen, I don't know how to get into this exactly, but uh, you have been sharing something on social media about uh, a part of yourself that uh, I think our listeners might be interested in hearing about. I will leave the floor to you. Yes. So trigger warning, I am about to talk about cancer. A lot of you listeners may know that I thankfully survived breast cancer two years ago, and I'm happy to say that I am now cancer-free. I opted to have a double mastectomy with reconstruction, which means that I have new boobies. New boobies! New boobies! Just didn't plan on getting the boobies and suddenly had new boobies. Now I'm sort of uh, starting to get into the cancer speaking space, Mm -hmm. trying to go to conventions and be part of organizations organizations where I speak about my experience and, you know, with bring some humor into the cancer space because we definitely need to, a little bit of humor. Yeah, I, I think the fact that it. you refer to them as boobies is, uh, is a good yeah, indication yeah, of your yeah. attitude about the whole thing. And, and so I've been um, sharing. And so uh, when you listeners will be hearing, I will have done a big cancer benefit show uh, in San Francisco where I exclusively do jokes about <laughs> my breast cancer experience and my new boobies, yeah, which are, uh, you know, they it's interesting to have new boobies when you didn't plan on ever getting new boobies. And uh, there's quirks to having mm-hmm. new boobies. <laughs> yeah. Quirky boobies, the Helen Hong story. We'll look forward to that <laughs> Lifetime movie coming soon. All right. Thank you so much for sharing that, Helen. I know it's going to help a lot of people. Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they may not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. He is an award-winning, prolific singer and songwriter whose latest album, My Good Friends, is available now. It's David Wilcox. Hello, David Wilcox. Hi. It is a special treat for me to have you join us. Um, Since 1994, when I first saw you, uh, you've become one of my absolute very favorite musical artists. Uh, I have all of your albums. I've seen you over 100 times all over the country. I've introduced your music to several friends and girlfriends. Uh, Your autograph is on the wall behind me. Um, Are you creeped out at all? No, actually, no. 
Uh, it's it's amazing that music can do that, and I I understand how that yeah. happens, and it is wild to think that I could contribute something like that to a life. So, in folk music, it doesn't get creepy. It just, you know, it's okay. That's a good genre. Folk music has a higher threshold of creepiness. Well, I think there's some truth to that because of the sort of maybe the, the intimacy of the of the experience of uh, the songs that you write and the way that you perform. I, I love that music has been my teacher, and I love that what I wanted most out of music all this time was for it to continue to surprise me, mm. and I'm more in love with it now than ever. So uh, I've made a lot of interesting career decisions, which looked like sabotage from the outside, <laughs> but they were really just a way to sort of think about it like like the kind of agriculture where you're wanting to make the soil better, you know? Well, I think what I find so meaningful when I especially see you uh, in concert is you'll you'll debut a new song and it'll be about something so specific that I find myself saying, who writes that? Like, who writes a song about that kind of very specific family <laughs> yeah. dynamic? Like, like, I remember the first time I heard you sing A Chain of Anger, uh, mm. which is a song about stepping in in a, in a conflict between your father and, and, and your child. Like, that, that, that was so specific and moving and yet also very universal. Um, on your new album, My Good Friends, you've got a song called Calling It Brave about a relationship with your brother uh, that has the line, I survive by just being self but calling it brave. And I'm curious, what's your family's response to these very personal songs that, <laughs> that involve them? Because I think a lot of artists have fear about, about going that deep with, with uh, what had been family secrets. It's mixed. And mm -hmm. it's, it's fascinating that they are understanding that it is my healing. It's my mm -hmm. therapy. But there is a little eye rolling and sort of like, <laughs> why'd you have to say it to everybody? <laughs> <laughs> This album, My Good Friends, uh, has been fan requested. Uh, I read that in, in the uh, release about it. Uh, does that mean these specific songs were songs that had been requested by fans or they just they just needed more David Wilcox acoustic music? The first album is going to come out second and the second album came out first. And here's what I mean. Okay. I've been working on this record that's going to come out next year and it's beautiful and thoroughly orchestrated. Mm -hmm. And it was taking longer than we expected. And there were a bunch of other songs. So... I just thought, why not just do a beautiful, quick, intimate recording of 10 other of songs that were really viable and wanted to get out? So the the second album came out first. Okay. One of the things you did with this album is you released on YouTube a guided tour, uh, sort of an introduction for each of the songs. What was your thinking going into letting people in on that? I've always introduced songs when I play live. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to discover that Spotify has this option. There's all this digital real estate, which can sit right beside the regular record and have introductions. And not a lot of people are doing it, but it's right up my alley. And on some of the songs, the introduction goes into a whole backstory and it winds up being as long as the song. So it really fills in the the emotion of it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that you offer to your fans are custom songs where uh, mm. people can write to you, you have a chat with them, and then you write a song based on on where they are in their lives. I'm curious, have there been any unexpected topics or unexpected results that have come from that experience mm. for you? Maybe one of the most unusual ones was a woman who wanted to invite her family to be there when she was leaving this world. She mm. had it scheduled. And she wow. said, the song needs to be fun. <laughs> and since she was in her 90s, it's a swing song. And it, it's you wouldn't know unless you knew the story. 
because she said it has to be fun. They have to know that I I know what I'm doing mm. and I'm okay and it's been a great life. And be there if they want to be, but they don't have to be. And so the song turned into a, an invitation. I really can't stay is kind of the feel of the song. It's been such a great night. It's been such a great life. Mm. Um, it's, oh, it's a my God. Song. That's so beautiful and moving. Yeah. And and it worked. Yeah. Her family came. Oh, that's really cool. Last thing I want to ask you about, a lot of times when I share your music uh, with new people in my life, uh, they say, oh, it sounds like James Taylor. Uh, and I'm curious what you think of that comparison. I think there is a similar sincerity, and I think that our writing styles are are different enough. And it depends on how much acoustic music someone has heard. Right. Because, you know, if they've heard nine people, <laughs> I right. sound like James. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You could you could do worse. You could you, you, yeah. there could be much worse comparisons than sounding like James Taylor. <laughs> well, thank you sure. so much for joining us and making one of my dreams come true, everyone. It's David Wilcox. Thank you. All right, Helen. Against whom will David be competing? She is a New York Times best-selling author, award-winning linguist, and co-host of the podcast Lingthusiasm. It's Gretchen McCulloch. Welcome, Gretchen. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, it's our pleasure. Uh, you've been requested by several of our listeners to have on the show, and I can certainly see why. I've been doing a deep dive this week, learning all about the different kinds of things you do. One of the things I read was that uh, you don't really mind how your name is pronounced, but you do care how it's spelled. Uh, what is what is your thinking behind that? <laughs> I feel like pronunciation is such a sort of individual variation thing. Uh, and as a linguist, I'm just fascinated in terms of what people are doing with language. Mm. I'm not here to sort of judge people. I'm just excited by all of the different ways that things can show up. And yet, unfortunately, spelling is this thing where if you spell someone's name wrong on an official document, I may not be able to cash a check or, you know, use that transcript. Um, so I don't really care how they spell my name at like a coffee shop. Yeah. But if you're, you know, sending me an official letter of invitation that I have to show to like a customs official, it would really be easier for all of us if you spell it the same way that's on my passport. <laughs> Your podcast is called Lingthusiasm, a podcast that is enthusiastic about linguistics. Do you remember how you first got enthusiastic about linguistics? When I was about 12 or 13, I have this very vivid memory of being at my grandparents' place and seeing a book on a shelf that was called Talk, Talk, Talk by Jay Ingram, who's a Canadian uh, CBC sort of, you know, fun science radio host. Mm -hmm. And I picked it up off the shelf and... I still have it. Um, my grandparents did not get it back. <laughs> and I remember being in the car on the way home being like, this is so cool. I, can I just keep doing this? So it was a real sort of full circle moment when I wrote a pop linguistics book yeah. to hear from some people that that's the thing that got them into linguistics. Oh, wow. Mm. You were at their grandparents' house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you were celebrating seven years of your podcast, Lingthusiasm. How did you choose to celebrate your anniversaries? Normally, we sort of do a bit of a, a push to try to get listeners to recommend the show to someone else that they think uh, mm -hmm. might like it. We did that the first year, and we were sort of shocked at how effective it was to just say, mm. can you just a little nudge to you know recommend the show to somebody? We are also doing a Lingthusiasm listener survey, okay. so people can both answer some questions about themselves and also participate in some fun linguistics experiments, so we can get like a really large data sample. Last year for the anniversary, we asked people whether a frown is something you do with your forehead or something you do with your mouth. Oh, oh. I would say I'm, I'm team mouth. I don't know about you, Helen. Actually, I have a pretty, pretty strong like 
for, forehead, wow. like the, in between, you know, right above the eyes in between. I have a strong, very, you know, like, oh. And yet know, we're I'm, still able to get along. What a message I, for I'm sorry I've to have driven such a rift between <laughs> your show. <laughs> what, were the, what were the results of the survey, if you remember? Americans and Canadians tended to answer with the mouth answer, and people in the UK and Australia tended to be more pro-forehead. Um, but it was all sort of like 60, 70% in either direction. So, you know, it's not going to be a good citizenship test, but it is this thing that you can use to incite arguments around the dinner table. <laughs> uh, you're not just a linguist. You call yourself an internet linguist. Uh, that best-selling book was called Because Internet. Has the internet made communication and linguistics better or worse? I'm very excited about it. I think that one of the really cool things about internet language is that it's made us use writing as an informal medium as well. You don't have mm. <laughs> this sort of delay or this editing process that goes through writing. And that means we've been expanding the types of communicative abilities that writing is capable of. Mm. So using things like stylistic punctuation to add emphasis or to add tone of voice, using you know capitals, emoticons, emoji, GIFs, that whole set of things that enable you to really figure out what a person is intending, not just the literal message that they're saying. I just find that incredibly exciting and that there's fewer gatekeepers around what you can do. And we're doing all this writing with each other all the time. Very cool. Last thing I want to ask you about, uh, as part of your bio, you say, when I'm not linguisting, I like fancy hats. Uh, we are not going to be talking about fancy hats as one of your topics. So I am curious, uh, what is your favorite kind of fancy hat? I have a sort of felt hat that is a little bit fluffy on one side and it's bright magenta and I am very fond of it. I wear it in the wintertime because it's a bit warmer and it's very soft. It's uh, a great color. It sort of lifts my spirits when I go out in the wintertime, especially in Montreal where the winters are quite cold. Do you wear it like cocked to one side, like sassy, like a sassy angle? Um, I wear it sort of a little bit tilted and I often wear it with sort of a scarf wrapped around my hat and and my neck to Ooh. try to keep, like, trap the heat in, which is very effective. Mm. Ooh, yeah, sounds yeah. very mysterious. Cru crucial in Montreal. <laughs> I think of it as my Mary Poppins look. You know that sort of scarf plus hat situation? <laughs> yes. You indeed are practically perfect in every way, and we thank you for joining us today, Gretchen McCulloch. We'll find out when the quiz happens if I'm practically perfect in every way. <laughs> David and Gretchen, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work that you know and love. David, for you, you said that was Donald Fagan's album The Nightfly, Model year changes on air-cooled Volkswagens from 1949 to 1973, <laughs> and plumbing. Whereas, Gretchen, you did not choose 1949 to 1973 uh, Volkswagens. I was a little surprised. Uh, you did choose, Gretchen, the, the YouTube show. It was a difficult decision, Yes, but I know, I know. It's like, oh, what year do I go with? No, I'm just going to go with something else. Uh, Gretchen, you chose the YouTube show The Lizzie Bennett Diaries, the musical Six, and Unexpected Recipes You Can Make with Rhubarb. Later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect or incomplete answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, birds of a feather. First up is David with birds. David, while both might indicate a place that a bird could be found, what's the difference between a nest and a roost? A nest and a roost. Hmm. I would guess that a nest 
uh, has a sort of concave place made for raising the little ones, hatching the eggs. And a roost would be a place where a bird of prey would grab those talons onto a branch and scan for prey. Ooh, very evocatively described. All right. We don't know yet if David is entirely correct. Gretchen, anything you'd like to add or change? I think I mostly agree with David. Just for the sake of adding something, let's say a nest is made out of objects such as twigs or grass or mud or something, Mm -hmm. whereas a roost is something that's found in nature. Found in nature. All right. Well, this segment is laying an egg. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. A nest is built by a bird as a place to lay eggs and raise young. Once the babies have grown up and flown away, the parent is an empty nester and the nest is abandoned. A roost is where a bird sleeps when it is not raising its young. It's usually a sheltered branch on a tree. That's right. Now, most birds that we see, as Gretchen mentioned, make nests out of sticks, grass, and animal hair that they'll find. Swiftlets, however, make their nests out of their own solidified saliva. And that spit nest is the main ingredient in bird's nest soup. Swiftlets, by the way, is what I thought Taylor Swift fans should be called, but instead she trademarked Swifties. Helen, how did our guest do? I think David Wilcox got two points on that. Two points for David. Very nice. All right. Up next in Birds of a Feather is Gretchen with Of a Feather. Gretchen, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you would like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to GoFactorPod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, play it. Hi, everyone. This is Karen Knox from Canada's capital, Ottawa, Ontario. And my question for what's the difference is, while they both are birds of a feather, what's the difference between denizens and citizens? Thanks a lot, you guys. Love your show. Bye. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. All right, Gretchen, you heard Karen. What is the difference between denizens and citizens? I think a citizen is someone who has sort of a legal right of citizenship, Uh, Mm -hmm. at an official level from a country. A denizen is someone who is a resident of a place who may or may not have citizenship. Shout out to fellow Canadian citizen and or denizen from our question asker. Excellent. Thank you so much. That was a happy coincidence. All right. We've got uh, Gretchen's answer. David, anything you'd like to change or add? Oh, that sounds good to me. Uh, Just for the sake of adding some complexity, I will say a denizen is someone who is representing a particular culture uh, in some forum or and citizen is just the legal uh, status of residing in a country. All right. Well, this segment is losing its zen. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. Denizens either live in or frequently visit a particular location and could refer to animals or people. Citizens are people, people who have a particular legal status, which grants them certain rights not given to non-citizens. That's right. For instance, I am a citizen of the United States, but I can be a denizen of the forest, the desert, the mountains, or more likely a bar. Helen, how did our guest do? Gretchen, I think I'm going to give you a point and a half because you did miss the animal portion of Denison's, but you got pretty much everything else correct. That's fair. All right, very good. What is our score at the end of that round, Helen? At the end of that round, David Wilcox has two points and Gretchen McCulloch has a point and a half. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. 
Hey everybody, as you know, we read a positive review at the end of every episode, and we're running low on them, so please help us let people know that you love the show by going to your favorite podcast platform and writing us a review. You might hear us say your name on the show, and that could be the highlight of your year. Oh, I hope it gets better than that. But seriously, please do review us. We really appreciate it, and it helps people find the show. Thanks so much. The Eurovision Song Contest. Hundreds of millions of people watch it every year. It played a part in a democratic revolution in Portugal. It introduced the world to Riverdance, and it launched Celine Dion's career. But you might have never watched it. It's got so much history and so many storylines that it can feel overwhelming to get into. Mm-hmm. It's like a real housewife season, but everyone's a better singer. Well, sometimes. But that's where we come in. I'm Dimitri Pompey. I'm Oscar Montoya. And I'm Jeremy Bent, and we're the hosts of Eurovangelists. If you're new to Eurovision, we'll tell you everything you need to know to start enjoying the world's most important important song competition. And if you're already a fan, we'll dive deep on its wildest moments, like when Ireland sends a turkey puppet to sing for them. You're Evangelist. New episodes every Thursday. On MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests David Wilcox and Gretchen McCulloch. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Helen. All right, David, of your many interests, you told us that you know and love Donald Fagan's album, The Nightfly, model year changes on air-cooled Volkswagens from 1949 to 1973, and plumbing. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what Donald Fagan's album, The Nightfly, means to you. When I heard that, I was in college, and it has this interesting nostalgia about the future. Hmm. As in, like, there isn't one anymore. And so he's remembering this time when he was, like, in high school. And he had this vision of great things are going to happen, not just with his life, but with the whole world. And so it, it just brought to life that music can be really intimate and yet have this ability to take your own story and put it in fascinating, interesting characters that come to life with just a few words. Very, very well said. All right, next, tell us why you know and love model year changes on air-cooled Volkswagens from 1949 to 1973. My dad bought a 57 Volkswagen new, and then we made it into a dune buggy when I was 10. You know, I was immersed in Volkswagen lore for a little while in my childhood. It was fun. Very cool. And then finally, tell us why you know and love plumbing. (laughs) The college that I went to had a work-study program, and I was on the plumbing crew. And I'm grateful that my job fell through. I had a job (laughs) lined up after college, and I showed up for work with lunch in my lunchbox. And the guy said, oh, damn, David, I forgot. And I said, what? He said, well, that job, I it, I'm, I forgot that I agreed to hire you. And uh, <laughs> so I went back what? home and I started writing songs. And uh, I'm grateful. You know, when something breaks in the house, I can still fix it. So that's nice. Wow. I forgot that I agreed to hire you. Yeah, yes. That, that sounds like a show that's, business story. Right? I mean, that's, that's pretty... So to summarize, David, you said that you know and love Donald Fagan's album, The Night Fly, model year changes on air-cooled Volkswagens, 1949 to 1973, and plumbing. Today we want to quiz you about 
Donald Fagan's album, The Nightfly. Excellent. Excellent. Now, this one actually surprised me because, you know, I know you as a very prolific folk artist. I would have thought, oh, maybe it's something else in the folk world. If people listen back on some of your songs, would they hear some of the elements of this album in any of your work? I don't think I'm anywhere near good enough to oh. emulate oh. that. No, really. Uh, yeah. The way he makes characters in songs, it's so concise. It's really beautiful. And uh, do you have a favorite song from the record? Walk Between the Raindrops might mm-hmm. be my favorite. Oh, interesting. Just because, you know, even even just take the first seven words, a shadow crossed the blue Miami sky. It's not a shadow that crossed the blue Miami sky. It's a cloud, right? He didn't say blue across. He said cross <laughs> the blue. But it's actually both because you hear both. Already you've got language that takes you to this place where it's just a delightful character already. Yeah, it sounds like you spent a lot of time thinking about this record. I loved it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, just ahead, we're going to list the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with an expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Gretchen, listen closely, because if David answers incorrectly, you could steal. By the way, Gretchen, how much do you know about Donald Fagan's album, The Nightfly? I can honestly say I've never heard of Donald Fagan or The Nightfly. <laughs> So this is going to be a really fun experience. (laughs) (laughs) All right, David, we'll see if you give her a chance to show if that's true or if she's lying in wait. Here's question number one. The Nightfly is the debut studio solo album from Donald Fagan after having top 10 singles like Hey 19, Ricky Don't Lose That Number, and Do It Again with what Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band? Steely Dan. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Fun fact, Steely Dan was named after a steam-powered sex toy that was featured in the book Naked Lunch by William S. Burroughs. Whoa. Is that a fun fact or a dangerous fact? Uh, I don't know, but I've been waiting to share that with our listeners since we started the show. Steam-powered sex toy. Oh, dear. Yes, yes, steampunk indeed. All right, here's question number two. Donald Fagan doesn't just sing on all the tracks on The Nightfly. He also wrote all of them, except for one. What famous songwriting duo, whose hits include Hound Dog, Stand By Me, and Smokey Joe's Cafe, wrote the third track on the album, Ruby Baby? Mike Stroller and Lerner somebody, I think. Helen? That is not quite correct. Not quite correct. Gretchen with a chance to steal. Yeah. Simon and Garfunkel? Helen, was it Simon and Garfunkel? It was not Simon and Garfunkel. No, David, I think you know who it was. You just couldn't quite get the names quite right. It's Lieber yeah. and Stoller. Lieber Stoller. and Stoller, yes. Great. Uh, Helen, do you want to give him a half a point on that, perhaps? Or no? I will. Right. I will. Yeah, you were in oh, the zone. Oh, that's generous. Half in a point. Zone. Fun fact, Donald Fagan received a Grammy nomination for his vocal arrangement of Ruby Baby, one of five nods for the album. Mike Stoller of Lieber and Stoller appeared on episode 124 of Go Fact Yourself. Wow. I know. That's what we said. I couldn't believe it. All right. Let's see if we can bounce back. Here's question number three. A note from Fagan included in the liner notes says in part, the songs on this album represent certain fantasies that might have been entertained by a young man growing up in the remote suburbs of a northeastern city. And judging by the lyrics, many of those fantasies involve travel beyond those suburbs. But which of the following cities is not mentioned in any of the album's songs? Is it New York? Paris, Mexico City, Havana, or Baton Rouge? Uh, Okay, New York to Paris is covered. Mm -hmm. Baton Rouge is in Nightfly. That leaves Mexico City and Havana. Mexico City is mentioned. Havana is not mentioned by name. It's just a 
Cuba, but not Havana. So I'll go with Havana. Helen? That is correct. Very well deduced. Yes. Fun fact, New York and Paris are mentioned in IGY, Mexico City in Maxine, Baton Rouge, as you mentioned in the title track, The Nightfly, A Cuban Breeze is mentioned in The Goodbye Look, but as you said, David, not the city of Havana. Very well done. And by the way, in that mention of Cuban Breeze, Mm -hmm. there's Gretchen's name. What? Would you pour me a Cuban Breeze, Gretchen? Oh, I yeah. have to listen to this album now, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been calling my name. <laughs> Literally. And I'm guessing he spelled it right as well. Yes. I bet he did. Here's question number four. That song, IGY, was the first single from the album and its biggest hit, cracking the top 30 on the Billboard 100 chart. But depending on where you come across the title, IGY, there are two different phrases in parentheses that come after those letters. What are those two parentheticals? Well, one is probably International Geophysical Year. Mm-hmm. Okay, might as well use my hint. Helen, how about that first hint? One of them is what IGY stands for. The other is the first four words of the chorus. David leaning back in deep thought. What a beautiful world. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Very nice. Yes. Fun fact, among other places, What a Beautiful World appears in parentheses on the label of the single. International Geophysical Year appears in parentheses on the album liner notes. According to NASA, by the way, the International Geophysical Year was a global scientific effort for a comprehensive study of the Earth, its poles, its atmosphere, and its interaction with the sun. All right, David, here's question number five. You still have a hint available. The cover of the album features Donald Fagan as a DJ, seated next to a turntable and microphone. The photo was shot in his apartment, and it was actually shot twice. According to author Brian Sweet, what mistake did an assistant engineer at Soundworks Recording Studio spot in the photo taken from the first shoot that necessitated a second one? That old microphone was positioned backwards, facing away from him. Helen? (laughs) That is correct. That is correct. I (laughs) never thought you would know that. That's amazing. Yes. Uh, It was facing the wrong way. Fun fact, that microphone is an RCA 77DX microphone, and it was used by crooners including Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, and Larry King. Oh. Yes. That old crooner, Larry King. One of these things (laughs) is not like the other. (laughs) That that was the microphone on Larry King's desk and his famous logo, the 77DX. All right, David, you did very well in that round, but now here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. The B-side to the aforementioned single IGY is also the final track on the album. And among its incredible lineup of musicians are two who were in a late-night talk show band. For up to three points, what is the name of the song? What late-night talk show's band featured two of the musicians on that song? And who are those musicians, one of whom now plays drums for the Rolling Stones, and the other who played bass on several tracks on an album by you, David Wilcox? Wow! This is (laughs) fascinating. Walk Between the Raindrops is the name of the song. Okay. And I think the late night show was probably Letterman. Okay. I would guess the bass player is probably, um, man, he did so many jingles. What is his name? Wow. He was on a 
song with Victor Wooten, and he said, you can't hold no groove if you ain't got no pocket. And his name is, ah, man, I'm spacing the drummer and the bass player. I know, Um, these things happen. Well, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight from Malibu, California, is a Grammy-winning musician who's played on several classic albums, including David Wilcox's Big Horizon and Donald Fagan's The Nightfly, it's Will Lee. (laughs) Hello, Will Lee. Uh, Hi. Wow. (laughs) David, you look exactly the same. And I'm so sorry I spaced your name. Hey, man, no charge. (laughs) You get a mulligan. Wow. But it's great to see you guys. Awesome. Will, thank you so much for joining us. What an absolute pleasure. In addition to the artists that we've already mentioned, you've played on over 2,000 albums with artists including Frank Sinatra, Aretha Franklin, James Brown, Barbara Streisand, Mariah Carey, Stevie Wonder, Madonna, and David Bowie. You've performed with all four of the Beatles, performed at Live Aid, and have been inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame. Wow. Yeah, but I did play on Big Horizon. You did? Well, I want to talk to you. That's the main event here today, ladies and gentlemen, by David Wilcox. That's right. Uh, uh, Tell us about that. How did you come to play on David's uh, record, and what do you remember about that? Well, I'm trying to think of who the producer was. Dave, do you remember? Ben Wish. Ben Wish. Okay, well, maybe that was part of it, you know, because often producers will put the bands together for any particular given project, right? Yeah. And I'm guessing in this case that was probably what was happening. And I was just kind of a guy about town in New York when we were doing this, uh, you know, during this golden age of uh, many, many recording sessions. And um, I remember it well, though. I, I do remember our, our encounters and I remember uh, getting to play on some great David Wilcox songs. One of my favorite moments was when you had done this amazing first pass. It was perfect. And then you said, let's go to Bar 32. I had an out-of-pocket experience. Wow, you do have a good memory. <laughs> I did say that. What is out of pocket experience? Well, that's when you know you ain't got no groove if you ain't got no pocket. <laughs> got it. No, that's that's exactly when uh, you know that there's, there's like there's a grid that we call the groove, right? Uh-huh. In 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 time and within the, the music, you know, in our kind of music. So the pocket is something that you don't want to slip out of because the pocket is another name for the groove. Mm. And if you have an out-of-pocket experience, you got to go back in and punch <laughs> in your pocket and repair that thing. Get back in the pocket. That's exactly right. And now, uh, you're joining us from Malibu. That is not uh, where you usually are. You're working on something there. Can you tell us anything about that? A couple of things. I have a band called uh, with some great uh, guys. It's, it's called Band of Other Brothers. Great players, uh, saxophone player, Jeff Coffin, who plays with Dave Matthews Band. Uh, Jeff Babco, who you can see every night on Jimmy Kimmel Live as he's the keyboardist. Keith Carlock, Steely Dan's drummer. And a young guitar player, Nir Felder from New York. That's the band of other brothers with me. And we've done a couple albums. And I had this brilliant idea to let's do a Christmas album and see, you know, see what kind of creative treatments of those classics we can come up with as, as this band and you know, what flavor we can we could bring. Very cool. Uh, well, another band that uh, you've been playing with for a while is a Beatles tribute band called the Fab Foe. And uh, you've got an interesting <laughs> history with the Beatles. I know that uh, it was a big influence on you and, and a lot of other young people at the time, seeing them perform on the Ed Sullivan show. And then uh, tell us about what it was like to perform with them. 
the Beatles, you know, were the turning point for many, many young people's, uh, I want to say careers, but at, ele- at age 11, you're not thinking about a career. You're just mm-hmm. thinking about what, what would be the most fun for me to mm-hmm. do right now? And that is to pick up an instrument and start playing it. And that led to me never really thinking about doing anything else from that point forward. Wow. And, and many Americans have the same story. That Ed Sullivan show, February 9th, 1964, was a, was a life changer for so many people that you can think of. Bruce Springsteen, mm. uh, Chrissy Hind, uh, Billy Joel, you know, just probably David Wilcox, who knows. What do you think, David? Was that a thing for you, the Beatles? It was weird. My brother was way into the Beatles, and I was going to be different from my brother. So mm. it took me years to get the Beatles. And I was actually making a record and some producer said, you know, we could do a little thing here, you know, like with, uh, you know, like, and your bird can sing. And I said, what? And he said, like your bird can sing, you know? And I said, no. He said, the Beatles song. I said, I haven't heard it. He said, you go home right now. (laughs) Do your homework. <laughs> he was appalled. He was appalled. Well, I've had many out of out of pocket experiences, but my, the out of body experience had to be playing with any of the Beatles at, yeah. at any given time. Wow. You know, for me, mm. we're talking tunnel vision. Yeah. You know? Well, let's talk about the Nightfly uh, and your work on that. Uh, tell us about where you were in your career and your life, and how that happened that you ended up working on that record. They would audition like band after band or, or musician after musician. I'm sure when I walked in to do Walk Between the Raindrops, uh, you know, I was prepared to be replaced immediately, mm. you know, because that's just the way these guys worked. I mean, you're paid and, and your part is either expendable or, or something of value that we'll use. And, you know, at the time, those guys were taking a drum track and cutting it into pieces. They even made a f- like the first drum machine. So when you walked in, you didn't know if one of your notes was going to be sampled and turned into the part, Mm -hmm. be replayed by a a sequencer or a keyboard. So the walk between the raindrops thing, you know, for me was just uh, probably through the recommendation of uh, Steve Kahn, the guitarist, who ended up on a few tracks on uh, definitely on the Gaucho album. And I think he's on some of... of, uh, of uh, the night fly. I'm not sure about that though. Now you're credited as only being on one track, but you were maybe going to be on another. Oh, do we have to talk about We that? don't have to. I thought it was a, <laughs> not, not if it's a painful memory. Well, there's expendable and there's expendable. Yeah. So I go in the studio and Ruby baby is a song that starts out with a bass uh, kind of introduction, right? As you, as, as David will remember, boom, boom. Yeah. Do, 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 do. I have a bass right here. Oh, a little live. I remember. A little live demonstration. Fantastic. Just imagine I'm playing my ass off. (laughs) (laughs) You look look great. Wow. Convincing bass face. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So I go in the studio for this session. This is after Walk Between the Raindrops. And they called me back to do this next track, Ruby Baby, the great Lieber Stoller piece that Dion made famous. Tape starts rolling. And I'm in the control room. Gary Katz and Donald are close to these speakers and Roger Nichols is over by the by the tape recorder, by the tape machine. And if, this is one of the uh, kind of early digital recordings, by the way, on a digital tape. So start the intro, boom, boom, right, starts, it's grooving along. If they heard a snap in the room, which was coming from my instrument, if they heard any kind of thing like, 
their hands would fly up and we would go back to the beginning of the song. Wow. Mm. Yes, God forbid it sounded like a human being was playing it, maybe. <laughs> wow. So I did that for a day. <laughs> and I came back another day. Wow. And I came back a third day. And somewhere after a couple of hours on the third day, I just said, guys, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Because <laughs> it was insane. They would go back to the beginning instead of punching me in somewhere. Wow. Which, which is what I'm used to when you have that out-of-pocket experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go in there and replace a note or a whole phrase or whatever. Oh. But they wanted to go back to the beginning every time, and it was just Groundhog Day. You know? mm. Wow. Uh, yeah, not like when you're working with David Wilcox and you can just punch it in on bar 32. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, some other parts of the question. Let's get to that right now. You heard the questions that we asked of David. First, we want to know what is the name of that song that is the final track on the album? Helen, what did David say? David said, Walk Between the Raindrops. And Will? It's Walk Between the Raindrops. Yes, very good. That's a point for David. You knew that right away. Uh, <laughs> next, we wanted to know what late night talk show's band featured two of the musicians who played on that track. Helen, what did David say? David said, Letterman. And Will? Absolutely correct. <gasps> yes, you were with Letterman for, I believe, over 30 years between the different shows. 33 and a third. Wow. Wow. Just for the record. Yes, exactly, for the record. <laughs> Very nice. And uh, finally, let's just get this over with. We want to know who were those two musicians on that song. Helen, what did David say? David could not pull either of the names. No, unfortunately. But Will, who were those two musicians? You're looking at one of them. Yes. And the other is uh, my dear brother in Groove, Mr. Steve Jordan, the now plays oh. the Rolling Stones. Wow. Yeah, no worries on that, David. Uh, I did want to ask Will about uh, your experience playing uh, in the Letterman Band, uh, which, by the way, of course, uh, the Late Show recorded at the Ed Sullivan Theater, which is where you first saw the Beatles. That must have been quite an experience. Oh. It's like walking the, into church for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, so you've been very open about your sobriety and how you were not sober uh, when you first got the Letterman gig. And I'm curious, uh, how did your music and, and your experience on the show change when you g- did get sober? It was actually so colorful compared to how it had been Mm. when I was uh, kind of hiding, kind of trying to pretend to be okay, you know, trying to push the envelope to see how, how it, how, what I could get away with, Mm. you know, trying to time out when I could start getting, you know, start drinking and start doing whatever. Mm. And, uh, you know, but after a while, those, those things kept kind of met Mm. and there was never a gap between, Mm. you know, being out of it and, and being sane. As a result, I would take way less chances uh, musically. Mm. Once I got out of uh, rehab and got sober after a five-week stint in, a, in rehab up in New York City, I was so amazed at how music felt to play. Mm-hmm. It was just like mm-hmm. you're in this thing and, it, and, and it's a zone, it's a place you can go to and you, it's just so colorful. And I remember I was playing at the Blue Note in New York one night and after I got off the stage, one of the audience members kind of stopped me on my way to the dressing room and said, man, I don't know what you're on, but I'd like to, I wish I could get some of that. You got any of that for me? And I said, listen, man, the only reason that you saw me enjoying it as much as I was is because I'm not on anything. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I really appreciate your openness about that. Uh, David, while we have Will here, is there anything else you'd like to ask or say to him? I just want to say thank you. It was life-changing to watch how amazing you are. And uh, and it was a blessing to be carried along and lifted up by your awesome skill. I I have a history of using music 
just as therapy. And uh, I, I love that it has saved my life and opened my heart. And between takes, I remember you started playing this beautiful Motown riff, you know, uh, uh, which I happened to know the words and I was singing along and it was so fun uh, just imagining being able to play anything at the drop of a hat. I cannot do that. And you can. It's really amazing. Well, fake it till you make it, I guess. Will, it's been so wonderful that you joined us. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that? WillLee.com is enough, probably. It's probably more than you need to know. <laughs> Excellent. I also want to recommend people look up on YouTube your reminiscence about your time on uh, The Letterman Shows. It was a wonderful, wonderful video with some great clips. Uh, it's so wonderful that you joined us, everyone. It's Will Lee. Thank you, Thanks Will. All. all right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, David Wilcox has eight and a half points and Gretchen McCulloch has a point and a half with a round of questions for Gretchen coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Gretchen about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, David and Gretchen will go head to head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. I'm Jordan Cruciola, host of Feeling Seen, where we start by asking our guests just one question. What movie character made you feel seen? I knew exactly what it was. Clementine from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Joy Wang slash Jabutupaki. That one question launches amazing conversations about their lives, the movies they love, and about the past, present, and future of entertainment. Roy in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I worry about what this might say about me, but I've brought Tracy Flick in the film Election. So if you like movies, diverse perspectives, and great conversations, check us out. Oof, this is real. New episodes of Feeling Seen drop every week on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, David Wilcox and Gretchen McCulloch. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Helen. All right, Gretchen, of your many interests, you told us that you know and love the YouTube show The Lizzie Bennett Diaries, the musical Six, and unexpected recipes you can make with rhubarb. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what the Lizzie Bennett Diaries means to you. The Lizzie Bennett Diaries is a YouTube adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. I'd seen other Pride and Prejudice adaptations. You know, I'd seen the the Karen Knightley movie and I'd seen the BBC movie. But this one was really exciting for me because it aired as a vlog. Mm. So Lizzie Bennet is a modern day grad student and she's, you know, uploading a vlog twice a week uh, where she's talking about all of her problems and her mother, who's weirdly obsessed with marriage and Mr. Collins, who has this startup. It felt very immediate, like it felt like it was someone that you could sort of get to know. And the characters were also interacting with fans on social media in this way that felt very like, oh, this is like a person, like I have some of my friends that I hear from on social media in the same way that I hear from the characters in Lindsay Bennett Diaries. Plus, there was sort of a fan community at the time, which I was a bit involved in and met people mm. through. And so all this sort of speculation about how this story is going to roll out over the course of like a year, mm. because it was happening very gradually, was just really exciting to be a part of. Very cool. Uh, All right, next, tell us why you know and love the musical Six. Maybe continuing the theme of, you know, modern day adaptation of historical things. (laughs) Six is a musical about the six wives of Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. And I first encountered the soundtrack about a week before we all went into COVID lockdown. Oh, boy. Oh. (laughs) And the sounds, and the songs were so catchy. 
and had such great lyrics. And I finally actually got to see Six live just a couple weeks ago. Oh, uh, right. I saw the touring production in Toronto. And so it's sort of come full circle and I've now seen like the full version of that. You have a huge smile on your face for our listeners as you talk <laughs> about that show, which I can understand. I actually got to see it uh, on tour earlier this year for the first time. And it's something that my fiance and I listen to almost constantly when we're driving in the car. All right. And then finally, Gretchen, tell us what unexpected recipes you can make with rhubarb means to you. <laughs> what I think is that appeals to me about rhubarb is that it's one of the few fruits or vegetables left that's really truly seasonal these days. Oh. I'm always sort of haunting farmers markets being like, do you guys have rhubarb yet? Do you have rhubarb yet? <laughs> uh, right around May and June, this woman stopped me on my way out of the farmers market with my like tote bag just filled to the bursting with rhubarb and said, what do you do with that? Like, I see people selling rhubarb, and you clearly have some ideas about what to Boy, do with she that. She asked the right person. <laughs> I was like, "Let me tell you." You're like, you like, do you have? Do recipe? you have thirty-five minutes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's rhubarb cookies. It's so much fun. Well, to summarize, Gretchen, you said that you know and love the YouTube show, the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, the Musical Six, and unexpected recipes you can make with rhubarb. Today, we want to quiz you about the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Yay. All right. Uh, now, were you a fan of Pride and Prejudice generally before you encountered the show? I think the thing that I particularly like about it and about Austin stuff in general is the sort of plurality of adaptations. Mm. Like the book itself is interesting, but the thing that sort of fascinates me more specifically is the different ways that you can adapt Pride yeah. and Prejudice. Which Mr. Darcy is the best and why is it Colin Firth? <laughs> <laughs> Colin Firth, uh, you know that scene where he comes out of the pond and he's got the, the wet t-shirt clinging uh, to him is an Colin iconic scene for Firth. a reason. Oh, <laughs> meow. Uh, do you have any uh, favorite moments or episodes from the Lizzie Bennet Diaries? There's a point in the, the book, not to spoil a 200-year-old book, uh, where the younger sister Lydia has run off to Brighton. Mm-hmm. And no one's quite know if she's what's happened to her. It's a big scandal. Scandal. Big scandal. And the way they adapted this in the the YouTube series is they had Lydia run off to Vegas oh. and sort of get separated from her friends and be partying and run into this guy and be like, oh, wow, you know, this thing. And this is all taking place like over Twitter in like she's making sort of tweets about like oh I can't find my friends I'm just gonna party anyway oh wait I've ran into this guy like here's a selfie and it's happening in real time so I'm what? sitting there New Year's Eve watching this go down whoa this sounds so cool so so like you got it so it's 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 more it's like YouTube show plus so you get into it with the youtube show but then you're like oh my god she's on twitter right now right i was also following a lot of the social media of the producers and they were like yeah so that's how i spent my new year's eve (laughs) (laughs) so you really did a deep dive on this that's great well just ahead we're going to list the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with a question worth up to three points but before that to let you show your love here are five trivia questions about your topic each worth one point if you wanted of course you'll have a hint for any two of these five questions now david do listen closely because if Gretchen answers incorrectly, you could steal. By the way, David, how much do you know about the Lizzie Bennett Diaries? Nothing at all. Okay. (laughs) I can't say I'm surprised, but I am shocked. All right, Gretchen, here's question number one. While the Lizzie Bennett Diaries is based on Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, there are some significant differences. For instance, while Lizzie still has her two sisters, Lydia and Jane, her sister Mary is now a cousin, and her sister Catherine, a.k.a. Kitty, is now a pet. What kind of animal is Kitty? 
Kitty is indeed a cat. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Very nice. Fun fact, Kitty Bennett the cat to this day has more social media followers than I do. Here is question number two. Of course, this series features a Mr. Darcy, but we don't see him above the neck until episode 60. Until then, all we have to go on is Lizzie's description and impersonation of him as what kind of machine? Uh, That is a robot. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. You're on a roll. Fun fact, Lizzie famously refers to him as an unfeeling sociopathic robot, and yet I think she might like him. (laughs) Here's question number three. The Lizzie Bennet Diaries wasn't just a show on YouTube, as you mentioned. It was an immersive transmedia experience with characters showing up on several different online platforms. But which of the following was not a platform that was used as part of the original, official Lizzie Bennet Diaries universe? Was it Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, Vine, or OkCupid? Ooh, okay. So Twitter was definitely used. Mm Mm-hmm. Tumblr was used. Okay. okay. I feel like Pinterest was probably used. That would make sense for a character like Jane to have. Okay. Um, so I'm going to say that it wasn't on Vine. Helen? That is correct. Both of our guests with very excellent wow. deductions on the multiple choice questions. Wow. Yes, very nice. Uh, fun fact, a 2014 Washington Post article featuring Lizzie Bennett co-creator Hank Green was headlined, The Green Brothers Say Someone on Vine Will Make Them Irrelevant, Which Is Great. Vine was shut down less than three years later. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) The internet is a fickle mistress. All right, you're three for three. Here's question number four. In episode 11, we learn that the Bennett sister's mother, Mrs. Bennett, caused a stir during a White House visit, which included having Diet Coke with the offspring of what U.S. presidents? I think that was George W. Bush. Helen? That is correct. Yes, it was. Very nice. Fun fact, Mrs. Bennett had that Diet Coke with the Bush twins, Barbara and Jenna. Like Mr. Bennett, Mrs. Bennett is never seen in the series, though often impersonated. Would you, do, would you like to give your best impersonation of that impersonation, Gretchen? <laughs> I do declare it's been a long time since any of you girls have been seen with a boy. Aren't you going to get married? <laughs> Gretchen McCulloch, everybody. Very nice. <laughs> All right, here's question number five. You have a chance to go five for five. You do still have a hint available. In 2013, the Lizzie Bennett Diaries became the first web series to win an Emmy Award. In what category did it win? Ooh, I have a feeling I might know this, but let's use the hint since we've got it. All right, Helen, how about that hint? It would be an achievement if you can get any three of the nine words in the outstanding name of this category. Hmm. I want to say outstanding achievement for interactive media or something like that. Helen? I'll give it to you. Yes, yes very nice. Correct. Yes, it actually is outstanding creative achievement in interactive media. Original interactive program is the full title, but you definitely got it there. Very nice. Gretchen McCulloch is five for five. Woohoo! Woo. Uh, fun fact, by the way, a follow-up show to LBD, Emma Approved, won the same award two years later. That series was based on another Jane Austen novel, Emma. Uh, by the way, three words in the category are in the hint that Helen gave you. Go back and listen. You might enjoy it. All right, Gretchen, you obviously did very well in that round, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. 
Gretchen, to commemorate the 10-year anniversary of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, the actor who played her launched her own YouTube series, where she re-watched all 100 episodes and spoke with members of the cast and crew. During several of those episodes, you can see behind her an award she won for her acting work as Lizzie Bennet. For up to three points, what's the name of that rewatch series? What Best Actress in a Drama Award honoring excellence in online video can be seen in that series behind her? And who played Lizzie Bennet? Ashley Clements played Lizzie Bennet. Okay. The series is called The Look Back Diaries, and I watched mm-hmm. several episodes of it, but I didn't quite get to all 100. Um, and the award, I want to say maybe it's a streamy award. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight from Los Angeles is an award-winning actor who recently looked back at the Lizzie Bennett Diaries where she played Lizzie Bennett. It's Ashley Clements. Hello, Ashley Clements. Hello. So wonderful for you to join us. Gretchen with a big smile on her face as well. God, this is surreal. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to talk about Gretchen's interest, but uh, you actually told me earlier that you actually are familiar with David's music. I am familiar with David's music because when I was in high school, one of my music teachers was a big fan. And I'm sorry about the theft here. Burned me some CDs. Oh, good. That's good. I loved them. I really listened to them all the Thanks. time. And uh, for, for our younger listeners, look up what burning a CD means. I think you'll be surprised. <laughs> uh, you light it on fire. Yes, exactly. Please be careful. Uh, well, Ashley, in addition to the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, people will know you from projects like Non-Transferable, Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Dinner Party, Sona, Wayward Guide for the Untrained Eye, A Tale Told by an Idiot, Solve It Squad, Muzzle the Musical, and Tabletop. So many of your projects uh, have been internet and streaming things. Uh, What do you make of that? You know, things happen. (laughs) Well said, yes. I had, like, just arrived in Los Angeles with no credits to my name, fresh Mm -hmm. out of grad school, just excited, shiny young actor, and I booked the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. (gasps) Oh, wow. Wow. Then I was on the internet, and then people offered me a lot of other opportunities to continue to be on the internet. Yeah. (laughs) I joined social media because the producers of the show told me I had to. Mm. And uh, then, of course, that turned into an addiction. But it means that I have interacted with so many fans. And when I create something new or am involved in something else, there's a whole legion of fans who are excited to see what that is. And that's just not something that a lot of people have in their careers. And who would have thought it would come from a little YouTube series that just went viral. Yeah. You know, Gretchen had explained sort of about the show and how different it was. Uh, how was it explained to you? And did you kind of get it right away what this project was going to be? Because it was so different than anything that had been out there already. I did not even know what a vlog was okay. when I booked this role. Yeah. So I could not have imagined it. But I did love Pride and Prejudice. Mm. And... I am also, like Gretchen, very interested in how things are adapted. So my immediate questions were, what are you going to do most specifically with the Lydia scandal? Like, how is that going to work in the modern times? They told me, and I thought it was brilliant. And so I knew I was in good hands. If you are one of the OG fans like Gretchen and you got to experience all of the transmedia in real time, 
it was just a new innovative thing. It's what's why we won an Emmy because no one had told a story like that before and it got a lot of attention and it meant a lot to people and it's it's still something that people will approach me on the street about. So I I I joked earlier that it must have been exhausting for the producers because I mean to go that deep like like creating an OK Cupid profile for the characters <laughs> that, like that's that's going deep. Yeah, doing that for yourself is exhausting enough, <laughs> let alone for others. Well, we did have two dedicated transmedia producers, Jay Bushman and Alexandra Edwards, who designed most of the transmedia elements and are the recipients of that Emmy Award. So mm. it was, but it, it had a whole writing staff, like a, like a TV show. I yeah. mean, I, I don't think that, you know, you watch like a 20 something girl in her bedroom and you think, oh, there's like a team of eight writers and, you know, transmedia producers and like creating all of this. Well, that was one of the genius things about the show. And and I'm curious because, of course, it was supposed to give the illusion that you're there in a bedroom uh, alone or sometimes, I guess, with your with your friend. What actually were you looking at that's behind the camera that we weren't seeing? We really were in one of the producer's bedrooms. Okay. And oh! So I was facing mostly just a window. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at, yeah, basically a white wall, a DSLR camera. They could fit about like three people on the other side. I, I don't even want to say behind the camera because the yeah. camera was basically like up against the wall. <laughs> so the DP was alongside the camera next to the yeah. camera, you know? Wow. This sounds like a short film, like a, like a, like a DIY low budget short film. Except you're you... shooting several of them a day. It was a DIY low budget <laughs> web series that we made for a full year. Yeah. Because wow. we put out two episodes a week for an entire year. Yeah, well, let's talk about the community and the fans that uh, Gretchen uh, was a part of. Uh, You said that the community was and remains very special. When did you start to get a feeling that people were not only watching the show, but watching it very closely? We had a very profound experience the first time that we went to VidCon, which is a convention for online video. We knew that people were watching it, but when we went to VidCon, what I said at the time was like, I think this is sort of what it's like to be a Beatle. Couldn't <laughs> walk around. We were just mobbed everywhere. Mm. People asking for photos wow. and autographs. And that's a very strange experience to have, especially when like you're not famous to most of the world, but mm. to this like group of people, you are um, extremely famous. And so we were very moved and overwhelmed and it was a real paradigm shift. Uh, well, let's talk about this rewatch series that you did. Uh, tell us about what motivated that and uh, what that experience was like to go back and revisit this work that you did uh, from 10 years before. Well, the motivation was everything I've been saying about this incredible fandom mm. and how much this series continues to be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. I haven't played Lizzie Bennett for over a decade at this point, but... People still ask me about it all the time. People still recognize me from it. And, you know, how often do you kind of stop and go, like, let's re-examine who I was 10 years ago. And there's a lot of video footage of it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not something a lot of people can relate to in that particular way. Yeah. Uh, Last one I ask you about. One of the exclusives available to people who support you at a certain level on Patreon is a series that you do called Broadway Before and Beyond. I know you're a big fan of Broadway shows and you sing songs from them. Uh, What are your feelings on the musical six? 
also also thoroughly enjoy i have covered a song from six i think that one's actually public on my youtube channel like gretchen it was just something that i heard about and i'm i've just been a musical theater lover from the age of six or so and i try to stay current with what's going on and so back in the day you had to like get a friend who could burn you a a CD and slip you a copy. Well, set them on fire, but don't don't sue us. All right, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Gretchen. First, we want to know, what is the name of that rewatch series where the star of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries rewatches the show? Helen, what did Gretchen say? Gretchen said the Look Back Diaries. And Ashley? Fun fact, I chose the name so that the initials would be the same. LBD. Yes, that is correct. Very nice. That is a point for Gretchen. Next, we wanted to know what was the Best Actress in a Drama Award that that star won that you can see in the background during some of those episodes. Helen, what did Gretchen say? Gretchen said the Streamy Awards. And Ashley? That is correct. Oh, and you're holding it up for us. That's great. I understand the Streamy Award has has seen some better days, your particular trophy. You know, I can't say it was particularly well made okay. because the top <laughs> is very heavy the top is is like a metal sculpture of i believe streams these are oh, internet streams. oh that makes sense. listeners just picture streams made of metal and you still will have no idea what this looks like <laughs> that's right but it's on this very lightweight wood base and just over time the, the base has split Oh, I'm showing us a shot of that now. All right. Mm. Uh, well, it's still an honor to have won, I'm sure. Great. That is a point there for Gretchen. And finally wanted to know who did play Lizzie Bennett. Helen, what did Gretchen say? Gretchen said Ashley Clements. And? No, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a, what a <laughs> fucking turn of events. Figment of your imagination. And yes. It was me. Yay, it was you. <laughs> uh, I believe that is a perfect score in that round for Gretchen yes, McCulloch. She really knows impressive. her Lizzie Bennett diaries. Very nice. Ooh. Well, while we have Ashley here, Gretchen, anything you'd like to ask or say to her? Thanks for, for making the show and for continuing to engage with the fandom for all these years. It's been really fun to, to watch that and some of your new projects. Well, thanks for thanks for following the new stuff. And Gretchen, I have to say, I was listening to you and I was like, oh, she and I should talk because I also love musical theater. And I also love rhubarb. (gasps) Barely ever find it. And when you do, you got to buy a lot of it. And you You have to buy it. Of course. Yeah. A a beautiful new friendship. (laughs) Yes. We made rhubarb buddies here today on the show. (laughs) I'll need some of those recipes. I can forward them to you. (laughs) Yay. Ashley, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that? You can check out ashleyclements.net. That'll direct you to all the other places. I am, of course, on all the social medias because they made me. (laughs) but i'm still there (laughs) well thank you for joining us the very compliant ashley clements all right helen what is our score at the end of that round it's a tight game jay keith at the end of that round david wilcox has eight and a half points and gretchen mcculloch has nine and a half points all right now it is time for our final round we call fast facts i'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false i'll start with david and then alternate each correct answer is worth one point again please answer each statement with true or false Here we begin. David, Frank Sinatra won an Oscar. True. Correct. Yes, for From Here to Eternity. Gretchen, Frank Sinatra hosted the Oscars. True. Correct. Yes, he did so twice. David, Frank Sinatra appeared in a movie called The Oscar. False. Incorrect. No, he really did. Gretchen, in the movie The Oscar, he played Oscar. True. Incorrect. Sorry, no. (laughs) David, in the movie The Oscar, he played himself. True. Correct. Gretchen, he played himself in the movie Cannonball Run. False. 
Correct. Nice. David, he played himself in Cannonball Run 2. True. Correct. Gretchen, he played himself on an episode of Who's the Boss? True. Correct. David, he played the title character in the movie Dirty Dingus McGee. False. Incorrect. No, I couldn't believe it either. (laughs) Gretchen, the movie Dirty Dingus McGee had a song called Dirty Dingus McGee. True. I want it to be true. It is true. (laughs) You are correct. David, the song Dirty Dingus McGee was sung in the movie by Frank Sinatra. True. Incorrect. Gretchen, it was sung by a man who would become Lieutenant Governor of California. True. Correct. And finally, David, that man was Lieutenant Governor Dingus McGee. False. Correct. All right, we're not going to count those last few. I want to thank Gretchen McCulloch and David Wilcox as Helen tabulates the final score. By the way, the title track, Dirty Dingus McGee, was sung by Mike Kerb with the Mike Kerb Congregation. He was a Republican lieutenant governor for the very not-Republican Governor Jerry Brown. All right, Helen, are you ready to announce the final score in today's show? I am, Jay Keith. At the end of the game, David Wilcox has 11.5 points, and Gretchen McCulloch has 13.5 points. Congratulations, Gretchen McCulloch. You were the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Gretchen, what will you do with your championship? I will definitely take it home and cherish it. Excellent. That's all we ask. (laughs) It's even more beat up than than a streamy award. Yeah. (laughs) Just careful with that base. It might come apart. (laughs) I'll cherish it on a very high shelf where no one can get into it. (laughs) That sounds wise. All right. We're going to wrap things up by giving everyone here a chance to uh, promote anything they might like. David, where can people see you and what you're up to? DavidWilcox.com will take you to all of my stuff. And uh, there's a, a new record that I love, which is called My Good Friends. I can recommend that as well. I'll look forward to seeing you in concert the next time you're in town. Thanks so much for being here, David Wilcox. Thanks. Gretchen McCulloch, what about yourself? People can find me at GretchenMcCulloch.com and look up Ling Enthusiasm in whatever podcast app you like. Excellent. I also will look forward to seeing you in concert next time you're in town. Thanks so much <laughs> for joining try. as well. Ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is Helen Hong. Helen, where can people see you? I have recently rejoined the worlds of Facebook and YouTube. Ooh. And shocking to our listeners... My handle is not at Funny Helen Hong on oh. either one of those. It is Comedian Helen Hong because I don't know, you know, why it makes sense. But <laughs> but on Twitter and Instagram, I am at Funny Helen Hong because I'm the funny Helen Hong. She's funny. She's a comedian. She's Helen. She's Hong. She's <laughs> Helen Hong. And me, you can find me on whatever Twitter is called these days at J underscore Keith. On all the other socials at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Helen Hong, David Wilcox, Gretchen McCulloch, Will Lee, and Ashley Clements. And thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on all the socials, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt and mug-shaped mug at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like Sono Nasuno did on Podchaser. He, she, or they said, hee-haw, what a delight. Whoever finds the experts deserves a raise because there are some amazing talents on this show. Thanks, Sono Nasuno. We would totally give those people a raise. 
if they got paid. Helen? <laughs> Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the world. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor and just general overall hero in our eyes is Julian Burrell. Today's show engineer, the sound master, is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Clint Tauscher and Bart Gold. Promotional graphics by Eric Tran. Videos by Annie LaFerriere. Added support from Dave Bianchi and Christine Velada. Special thanks to Casey Blair and Melissa Gunning. Mike Farley of Michael J. Media Group. Steve Cohen of Music and Art Management. Janine Lee Papio of Think Big Picture, LLC. Alex from the Steely Dan podcast, Gaucho Amigos. Shin Watanabe of Hot VW's Magazine. And Bob Lefsitz, The Lefsitz Letter. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go listen to that Donald Fagan record. While watching the Lizzie Bennet Diaries? Sure. And or swooning over Colin Firth. Again with the Colin Firth. <laughs> I mean, have you seen that scene? Woo! Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported. Directly. By you.